As uh, we go to the book of John this morning, I have some handouts. Uh, I don't normally hand out in the morning service. If you have worshiped with us for any period of time, you know that it is my custom to use them in Sunday school and evening service, but I don't normally use them in the morning. But uh, this morning is slightly different, so let me first of all give uh, some disclaimers. If you look at this handout, it's unusual because everything's in capitals. Uh, I did not intend for this to be a handout initially, uh, but the longer I worked on this sermon, the more scripture I was using, the more complex it was becoming, and I thought, nobody's going to follow this. So um, what you have is my sermon notes. Uh, so they're all in caps, because I always do all my sermon notes in caps so I can read them from a distance. Uh, This is going to conclude our study of the book of Jonah this morning. Next Sunday, I, Lord willing, will be preaching at Pinebrook. So I will not be here, but uh, Pastor Cruz will be uh, preaching morning and evening, and he'll also be here for the week if you need, uh, have any concerns, have any needs. Uh, Pastor Brandt also will be at Pinebrook leading the worship uh, in song, and uh, we will be returning the following Sunday. Pastor, Brandt will, uh, Pastor uh, Cruz will be preaching in the morning again, and I will be preaching at night, uh, the following Sunday night. Is anybody in need of a handout? All right, thank you, men. Uh, let's uh, begin then. The book of Jonah, God is dealing with Jonah's anger at God for not destroying the city of Nineveh. God is trying to reveal Jonah's hard-heartedness by speaking of the appropriateness of God having compassion on the inhabitants, the children, and the cattle. Jonah 4.11. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand and their left, and also much cattle? One might be surprised, because does God really care about cattle when it comes to judgment? Uh, why would that be included? What is its significance? Well, Jonah certainly did not show concern for the cattle. He did not show concern for the inhabitants. He's certainly not going to show concern for the cattle. The Ninevites were concerned for their animals. In Jonah chapter 3, the word that is the message of destruction that was coming to Nineveh had reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Now, one might argue that the Ninevites' only concern for the animals would have been the financial and material loss to themselves. If that is the case, they're really not so much concerned about the animals. They're just concerned for themselves. The animals are a means to the end. And so uh, they're not really concerned about the animals of all. But why would God be concerned about the animals when it comes to judgment? 
To have a proper view of the person and character of God, we need a correct theology concerning God's redemptive work with regard to all of creation. Uh, to me, this is extremely important in the scriptures and uh, is not emphasized nearly enough. So the theme this morning is, just as all of creation reaps the consequences of man's sin, so too all creation reaps the benefits of man's salvation. Let me say that again. Just as all of creation reaps the consequences of man's sin, so too all creation reaps the benefits of man's salvation. This morning we want to get an overview of what the scriptures teach as a whole on the subject. So we'll be considering a number of passages of scripture. I want us to get kind of an overall theme of the scripture on this particular issue. So we begin by number one. Mankind's sinfulness had consequences for all of creation. Originally, God was pleased with all that he had created. He said that it was good. It said that after each day of creation. However, when mankind sinned, there were consequences not only for himself, but all of creation. So after Adam had sinned, God said this, Genesis 3.17. To Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. So the curse uh, was extended to uh, the very earth itself, the very ground. And as a result, the garden was going to be now changed, and it was going to produce thistles. Life was going to be hard and difficult. But B, mankind's sinfulness had consequences for all of creation as evidenced in the flood. By the time the flood had come, God was displeased with all of his creation. Genesis 6, 6 and 7. The Lord regretted they had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals, and creeping things, and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I have made them. Now notice God's regret extends to all of creation. Not just man, but the animals, the creeping things, the birds of heaven. Number two, this corruption extended to the animal world. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh, that's a very important term throughout the scriptures, all flesh, meaning everything that's got skin. Okay, it's talking about everything that is body, not just mankind, but all flesh. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. In particular, the corruption is evidenced in violence, becoming normative for man and animal alike. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. So one practical manifestation of this corruption is the violence that was existing on earth. Genesis 6.13, God said, And Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence 
through them, but I will destroy them with the earth. Therefore, because everything is corrupted, man and animal alike would be destroyed. Verse 17. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. However, God would spare some of the people. Verse 17, for behold, I'll bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, and which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons, your wife, your son's wives with you. So even though destruction is going to come on all flesh, God is going to spare these individuals, these human beings, the family of Noah and Noah himself. This morning, we emphasize the following. And God would spare some of the animals from every animal group. Verse 19, and of every living thing of all flesh, there's our terminology again, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to bring them alive with you. They should be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come to you to keep them alive. So God purposed to keep alive a representation of every form of living creation. Genesis 7, 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate. And seven pairs of the birds of the heavens, also male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. So God in his goodness preserved his creation during the time of the flood. He preserved man and he preserved animals. Now after the flood, God made a covenant with both mankind and the animals that he would not destroy them by means of a flood. This is extremely significant for now. Not only would the animals benefit from the covenant that God would make with Noah, the animals are actually participants in the covenant, and thus the promises of the covenant are made to them. Five times it states that God's covenant is made with both God and the animals. Okay? We often refer to the Noahican covenant. How often have you heard of it referred to as the Noahian covenant with the animals. But notice the text. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as come out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you 
and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I've set my bow in the cloud, and shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So you shouldn't miss <laughs> that God's covenant is not just with Noah, but with every living thing. Number one, all too often the importance of the story of the flood and the ark loses its importance. Instead, people ponder, how could Noah take care of all the animals of the ark? Or, how did they all get there? Or, and, and people love to you know, turn this very important story into a child's oddity. You know, and we've all seen the ark and all the animals, and you play with all the animals and, and so on. But no thought is given to the significance that is lost. Namely, that God destroys the earth but spares Noah and the animals. That is what is the ultimate truth of the story of Noah and the ark. God destroys the earth, but spares some of mankind and the animals. This is a foreshadowing of the final judgment, the destruction of the world, and the sparing of people and animals. Okay. We are to learn from this. This is how God works. This is what God does. This is God's relationship to his creation. We are to see that this destruction that came in the time of Noah is a foreshadowing of the final destruction that is going to come, that is going to result in a new heaven and a new earth. E. The New Testament in the book of Romans speaks of how the whole creation is going to be delivered from the consequences of sin. Romans 8, 19, for the creation waits with either eager longing for the revealing of the Son of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subject, subjected it in hope. In other words, creation experienced this corruption, not of its own doing, but because of mankind. And has subjected that creation in hope. That is in the deliverance that God is going to provide. Verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom or the glory of the children of God. So the scripture teaches you can see the corruption of sin in every aspect of creation. It is throughout all of the created universe that man's corruption 
has corrupted all things. So God is going to set free his created universe from this corruption. Next. The final end of creation is that God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth where all the effects of sin's curse have been completely removed. The new heavens and the new earth are described in Isaiah 65, 17 and following. Isaiah 65, 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. So God's going to make a completely new heaven and new earth. This earth and heaven, as we know it, is going to be destroyed, even as it was destroyed in the flood. As you read in Isaiah 65, in the new heavens and earth, animals will be present. Isaiah 65, 25. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. Dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain, says the Lord. In the new heaven and new earth, there will be no corruption. Uh, We know the passage in the book of Revelation, often taken out of context, because it's talking about the new heaven and new earth, but it says there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, uh, no more crying, no more tears. Uh, All of that will happen, for there will be no corruption when God makes this new heaven and earth. There's no sin. There's no effects of its sin. So notice the corruption described in Genesis with its accompanying violence will be removed. There will be no violence even in the animal kingdom. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. So these animals are not going to be ferocious. They're not going to attack. They're not going to be violent. Uh, I don't have time to develop everything, but in the book of Genesis, it says that God would put the fear of animals, uh, put the fear of mankind upon the animals. It was a way to protect mankind. You know, it's amazing that animals run from us in fear. Uh, Most animals are faster than us, uh, stronger than us, Uh, you'd think that we'd be the most likely prey. But God put a fear in the animals of us to protect us from them. Uh, That is part of the corruption. That is part of the ferociousness that it resulted because of of sin. But because sin is going to be completely removed, because corruption is going to be completely removed, there's not going to be violence. There's not going to be violence among men, and there's not even going to be violence among animals. Notice Isaiah 11 says it again, but even in further detail. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the young shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. 
Again, now the same words that were found in Isaiah 65, 25. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Nothing will hurt. Nothing will destroy. It will be completely new. Next, all flesh, not just mankind, is said to worship the Lord. Isaiah 65, 22, 23. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. Uh, we sang a hymn this morning. All creatures of our God and King. If you look at that last verse, it talked about the creation worshiping God. Uh, but that is not just some kind of mystical or fanciful statement. Uh, all creation worships God in the sense that uh, mankind and animal will be under God's authority, completely fulfilling God's purpose in creating them. They worship him in the way in which they conduct themselves. The animals are no longer going to be ferocious. They're going to be tamed. They are going to fulfill the purpose for which God had created them. Right now, things are running amok, but God is going to put it all in order. Everything that God intended this world to be before the fall is going to be restored. What God intended, this, this paradise, this, this earth that he had created, all that he intended it to be is going to come to pass in the future. That is our eternal state. That is our eternal destiny. We're not just going to be floating around on clouds in the heavens. We're not going to have a, a worship service for all eternity, which we never end, but we are going to be living lives, normative lives for all eternity in the creation that he establishes. Doing the work, doing the responsibilities and duties that we have, all to his glory, all to his honor, living together without any disharmony, uh, no need to lock your doors, no need to... There will be no sin. It will be this perfect new world. Okay. So, why did I take time to look at that this morning? For a number of reasons. I didn't give you the conclusion. You've got to listen to me now for these next four pages. But here's the conclusion. Most Christians do not have a clue about what, etern what eternity is going to be like. Uh, most Christians don't have, as I say, a clue. They don't even realize there's going to be a new heaven and new earth. There's this strange view of heaven, and I don't know what it is that, that people think is going to go on, and some people think that we die and we become, become angels. And, I mean, it, it's, it's really strange stuff when you stop and think about what people believe about eternity. That is because most Christians don't understand what God is doing with regards to the work of redemption. 
Most people don't get what Christ was sent here to do. What God's purpose is in redemption. The scripture says he is reconciling all things to himself. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For in him, in the fullness of God, was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Jesus Christ. He is reconciling everything to himself. He's bringing everything under his control. He is bringing everything under his jurisdiction. He is making everything right in relationship to himself. He is removing all the consequences of sin that has marred his entire creation. All of creation is being delivered. So often, we think of salvation solely in relationship to mankind. We think about the fact that I am being saved, whatever that means. And then we think we're going to spend eternity with God, but it's just me and God, or me and the angels. Because it's all about us. But in the scriptures, it's about creation. Look again at the call to worship. Would you pick that up? If you got your look at those verses. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Would you read the last statement with me? Man and Did that strike you this morning when we read the call to worship? Did, did you even think about that last statement? And beast you save? I submit to you that we close our eyes to huge portions of the scriptures. That if you just will take time, the next time you're reading your Bible through, and notice all of the references like that. The Psalms are filled with the relationship of God to creation. And it's interesting, the psalmist says, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you visitest him? The verses before talk about God's glorious creation. In light of all that you have made, why are you concerned about human beings? We say, why are you concerned about the rest of creation? Certainly God doesn't care about that. He cares about me. And the, and the restless stuff, that's, that's kind of irrelevant, okay? God would never send his son to die for a, an ant. God wouldn't send his son to, to die for an animal. I make my covenant with you and with all flesh. Have you ever realized... What God says about the Sabbath. Just listen. Deuteronomy 5.14. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female male servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock. 
Did you ever realize that the animals were included in the Sabbath? That they were to get rest just as mankind was to get rest? As you read the Old Testament, and you get to Leviticus, and I know it gets tough, and Numbers, read it afresh, and just be aware of all the regulations that are in place for the protection of the animals, for the oversight about the oxen, how you're not allowed to, to uh, put uh, two different animals together. That's because it hurts the, the one in. It just goes on and on and on. If you read your Bible with a certain awareness. Many Christians regard creation as our little playground that exists solely for our enjoyment and can be exploited as we will. As opposed to seeing ourselves as stewards of God's creation. Representatives of the kind of dominion that God exercises over creation. In Genesis chapter 1, when mankind is created, God said this, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the, bri uh, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God said, let them have power and control of everything that I make for their protection. To represent who I am. They are ministering in my image so that we are to show the governance of God over creation by the way in which we govern creation. We are to reveal God's heart for creation by the way in which we manifest our action towards creation. I said that in the book of Jonah, the Ninevites showed more concern for the, ox, for the cattle than Jonah did. I said it could have been selfish. But one of the great oddities in life is that non-believers often demonstrate more concern for the environment and care of the animal world than Christians do. Did you ever think about that? Oftentimes, non-Christians show more concern over the environment and care of animals than Christians do. I believe that concern by non-believers is a vestige of the image of God even in fallen mankind. Just as all people have a conscience, there is a, an awareness of duty, of responsibility for this world in which we live. Now this could take us in many different ways. But this morning, I would like us to consider what I believe is a great witnessing tool that is available to us when we think of God's care and provision for his creation. The book of Jonah is about Jonah's lack of concern, ultimately for the city of Nineveh. Last week I said that we should have a concern for the lost. We should have a concern for those who haven't heard the gospel. But how are we going to relate to the lost? How are we going to convey the gospel to the lost? I have often said that we live in a post-Christian era 
One of the manifestations of that is that people have a negative view of Christianity as opposed to a positive view of Christianity. People, the world in general, doesn't think much of Christians, sees us as hypocrites and all kinds of things. When the world thinks about Christians and creation, I submit to you all they think about is the debate between creator and evolution. That the only way in which they can relate to our understanding of the creator is that it stands in direct contrast evolution. And it does, and it does. But perhaps there is a basis in which we can bridge a gap. Because that's what we might think of as well. God's love and care for the creation is a unique starting place to relate to non-Christians. As a faithful creator, God cares and provides for his creation. So let me give you some examples. How different a discussion on the topic of pollution might be. Now just think, you're at work, you're at school, you're with your neighbor, and you're talking about pollution, air pollution, water pollution, all the pollution, the corruption you see in this earth. And people are complaining to you that human beings are destroying this planet and not caring for it the way they should. What if people are talking about taking responsibility for polluting our planet? We said, yes, I agree. It is sinful the way that we do not show concern for the well-being of the planet. That we acknowledge that it's wrong. But not only wrong, but it's sinful. It violates what God wants for this world. It goes against all that God desires for his creation. What if we said, did you know that one day God is going to make this perfect place? Is going to make this place perfect just as he tended it to be? Do you know that the Bible said the rivers are going to flow uh, like a crystal fountain? No more pollution? Have you ever noticed how many times the Bible talks about the purity of the rivers? Sky is going to be beautiful to see and the air is going to be wonderful to breathe. Did you know that God is going to make right everything that is corrupted in this creation? God is going to remove all the corruption that resulted from mankind's sinfulness and lack of care of this creation. Yeah, it's our fault. But that removal is going to come at a great price. Do you know what God had to do in order that all this corruption is going to be removed? He had to send his son to die for the consequences of sin so that we and creation can be made anew. That we don't experience destruction and corruption. We can be forgiven and be part of the solution and not part of the problem. God can change us and allow us to live in this perfect world that he's going to make. I say to you there is an opportunity that is present for us. For there is a great concern among the lost for creation. 
we can tie into that. We can relate to that. Let me ask you this morning, on a more personal note, when you watch on the news a rescue of animals from a flood, you know, you, you see the, the Katrina uh, issues, you know, the floods come, and, and, and you see these natural catastrophes, and they're showing the boats, you know, and they're out there, and they're rescuing people, and then all of a sudden there is this person who goes into this dilapidated building and comes out carrying a dog. Do you ever roll your eyes? Do you ever think, man, a person risking their life to save a dog? Do you ever roll your eyes and think about all the resources, all the money that's spent to save this dog from drowning? Or consider those tear-jerking commercials that want you to give to a foundation to care and preserve the animals. You know, you've seen those. They show these, these mutts and they're, they're gringy and they're gray and, then, and they talk about how you need to give. Imagine watching the news with an unsaved relative or friend and you see one of these animal rescues and you say something like, did you know that God is going to spare the animals? Did you know that God gave his own son that animals might live? You start talking about cost? You start talking about commitment? Do you know that God cares about these animals more than their masters do? More than their pet owners do? Can you imagine God sending his son to save creation? And then, maybe, the light will go on and we will say to ourselves, you know, I'm a part of creation. I have more in common with the animal world than I do the creator. I'm just one of the created beings. And God sent his son to die for me. God sent his son so that I could live in a perfect world. God sent his son so that I could be free from corruption, the violence, the misery, the heartache. God sent his son so that I can live in this perfect world that he is making with all of creation. You know, we could do a whole series on man and the environment, but I'm not going to, so don't worry. This is it. We're moving on. But I say to you, let's first read the Bible a little more carefully. Uh, let's, let's look at these passages and not just glance over them, but really think of what God says about his creation. And then secondly, let us think of ways in which Christianity is really misunderstood in our culture. There are other things that we can talk about. There are points of which we can sit down and dialogue and let people understand in a new way. 
what Jesus Christ has done. I'm not talking about watering down the gospel at all. I'm talking about making the gospel fuller and deeper and richer. That people would really understand what salvation is all about, what sin did to this world, and how God is removing this sin. In closing, we're going to sing my favorite hymn, number 120. And those of you who have been here at Christmas time know that I emphasize the fact that this is not a Christmas hymn. It is a hymn that speaks of what's going to happen when Christ returns and establishes his new creation. And the great verse that says that as far as the curse is found, that sin is going to be removed. Every consequence of the curse is going to be removed. Every facet of the curse that came through the fall of mankind, every corruption to this entire earth is going to be made right. There's going to be a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth, in which we dwell with God, with the animals, a life like this, except without sin, for all eternity future. Uh, Steve, would you come and lead us in uh, number 120, Joy to the World.